0: This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. As you're sitting down, you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you're uh, new to the Bible, that is... In the New Testament, right after the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts chapter 2. Well, it's a great joy uh, to be with you because I have been off for quite a while, and uh, the pastors uh, gave me some extended time off, so I was off the whole month of August. Beginning of September, I was here on a lot of Sundays, but I haven't preached in six weeks. So I've been eager, and this has just been... uh, I think my voice is still holding, I was hoping I just didn't like strain a vocal cord or something the first uh, service, because I definitely am rusty, I don't know if this is like a bike, once you know, you always know, you can be the judge of that after you hear this sermon But uh, or you may have not thought I ever did know how to ride, so that's your call but, but it is great to be back with you, and uh, I had a wonderful time off, wonderful time uh, with our family um, my wife Ginger and I Became grandparents while I was off, so that was pretty big news. Thank you. That was pretty exciting news. And um, my daughter, Katie, is doing very well. Our grandson, Parker, is doing very well. So you'll meet him in, in, I don't know, soon, maybe next week or next couple weeks. I'm sure he'll be here. Um, But uh, anyway, so that was a a wonderful experience for us. And I'm not just saying that to draw attention to myself uh, because I would never do that. But um, do you know that today is actually Grandparents Day? I don't, uh, if you know this, I googled this, and I don't know if Hallmark created this, because immediately I wanted to find out when I could get a second day, Father's Day and Grandparents Day. And when I googled it, I found out that it's the Sunday following Labor Day. So I never even heard of that event till the day, and now I have no living grandparents. All my grandparents are passed on, so I, I never got to celebrate that. Uh, but I'm very happy to be the recipient of said holiday. So anyway, but that's today. So call your grandmother or grandfather And uh, let them know you love them on Grandparents Day. Well, we are starting a a series today called Community. A series called Community. And um, I'm very excited about this series because, uh, first of all, I, I need it. And you can just pray for your pastors. You always want pastors teaching you that need the message for themselves Uh, Because then hopefully they will apply the message and study the message and then have something to bring that's reality in their own soul. So always pray for us that way. Uh, But I'm very well aware of my need for a refresher on community. And and I think we need it as a church. I'm going to make a a number of in-house comments today. A few times I'm probably even going to say I'm not talking to you if you're a guest. But... Um, and make a number of in house comments. And I, I think we need a refresh, refresher on the idea of community, on the biblical reality of living our lives. In community together as a church. A number of reasons for that. First of all, some of us are new and maybe you have never really thought about that too much and and are wanting to take another step in building our lives together with other Christians. So maybe you're newer, you just haven't found a a way to connect in the church yet. So I think the series will be very, very helpful. I hope so for you. Or maybe you have, but you just need a renewal in your own heart and in your own vision. Um, our church is coming up on five years old, and so a number of us have been around for a while since the beginning, and we've been around long enough for the shine of the church planting honeymoon to grow a little dull and uh, to sort of wake up and look around and say, you know what, uh, There's sinners around here, and there are humans around here, And I found out I'm a human too, and uh, we had human issues together. And so we wake up at some point and we realize we need a fresh vision for what God is giving us and doing in our midst and calling us to in community. And so the way I want to launch this series, which will take place over a number of weeks, is to consider the birth of the church in the book of Acts. And if you're new to the Bible, what we're going to read today is what occurs after the life of Jesus. So in the Gospels, Jesus lives a perfect life. He is God in the flesh. He comes and teaches truth, lives perfectly, and he is uh, killed. He is sacrificed on a cross. He dies as a substitute for our sins. The scripture teaches, this is the main message of the whole Bible, that God put our sins upon Jesus Christ And he punished our sins with his holy judgment, and he died as a substitute in our place. And so that if we have faith in him, our sins are forgiven. If we turn from our sin and follow him, have faith in him, our sins are forgiven because of what Christ did for us. On the third day, he rose from the grave, defeating the power of sin and appearing to his followers. And that's kind of how the gospels end. The book we're looking at right now for today is the book of Acts. And so here's what happens in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends and sort of completes his work of uh, salvation. The reason he came, he ascends to the right hand of the Father where he is ruling and reigning even today. So he died, he was buried, he rose, and then he ascended to uh, be at the right hand of the Father. When After he ascended, he poured out his spirit, and that's what happens in Acts chapter 2, uh, where we're looking at today, a, a fascinating chapter, where these followers of Jesus are together, and they're praying, and the Spirit of God falls on them. They're gathered for this festival called Pentecost, and the spirit, Holy Spirit falls upon them in a way that had not been experienced previously and they began to speak in languages they don't know. And so there's people gathered around them because this is sort of a festival where Jews have come from all over to Jerusalem. And so people are around around them and they hear them speaking in their home language and they know they don't really know that language. They're Galilean but they're speaking my home language. How do they know this? It's a miracle. And they hear them proclaiming the great works of God. And so what God is doing here is he's reversing what happened in the Old Testament at the Tower of Babel where people were speaking one language and God made their languages all different and they scattered to different nations. Now he's reuniting people where people of different languages are gathering together around the message of Jesus Christ because... Um, They are proclaiming the great works of God. And then Peter, one of the disciples, stands up in the middle of this, and this is what he says in 2.17. He explains what's happening. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall Prophesy. So he says to everyone, they're saying, what is going on here? These people are speaking a language they don't know. They're talking about God. How is that possible? And he stands up and he says, the Old Testament's been talking about this for years. A prophet named Joel said one day the Spirit of God would come and all his people would be touched and filled by the Spirit. And that's what's happening right now. And once he has their attention and he explains there's this event in salvation history that's happening, the Spirit of God has been poured out, he then preaches to them the message of Jesus Christ, because they are not followers of Christ. And so he tells them who Jesus is and what he did. And he's very blunt. He says, you killed Jesus. He was the one sent from God, and yet you rejected him and you crucified him. And they realize that the Messiah has come, the, the one who has come to forgive them of their sins, and they not only missed it, missed him, but they resisted and rejected Him. And so they are cut to the heart, the Scripture says. The Holy Spirit cuts them in the heart. What does that mean? It means that they are aware of their need. And they say, well, how can we now be right with God for what we have done? Resisting and rejecting His own Son, Jesus Christ. And Peter tells them, well, you can, believe, you can repent. You can turn from your sin. You can turn to Jesus Christ. You can believe in Him. Be baptized. There's forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus Christ. That's why He died. And so what happens is 3,000 of them that day turn to Christ and say, we believe in Him. We want to be followers of Jesus Christ. So what I'm just describing to you is what's happened in all of chapter 2. I kind of gave you a little bit of a blow-by-blow of what happened in the chapter. And then this is how the chapter concludes. That's what we're going to look at today with this summary statement. Look at verse 41. So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this text of Scripture, and we thank you for what it reveals to us about your work by your Holy Spirit. And we pray the truths of this text would be transferred from a a mere history of something we read in our Bibles to more and more a living reality in our own lives as you build us together as a people for your glory. So God, do beyond what we ask or think, lift our eyes high to see the Savior. Lift our expectations high to cherish the work of the Spirit in our midst building a community around the gospel and a community knit and joined together. So we trust you for these things. Lord, I pray that you would give me strength and clarity today. And I pray that what I communicate would serve the church and build up your people and uh, and that you would use this to even work in the lives of anyone here today who doesn't know you as well. We give you this time. Help us to be hearers and doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. The reason I gave you all that context at the beginning is because I think the context is vital to this passage. I've read the passage we've just read. I think I've taught on it a number of times before. But I don't know that until this week I saw quite the level of connection between what we just read and what I told you about that went before it. Because you see what happens in Acts 2 is we sort of have this blow-by-blow account of what happens on a particular day and in a particular event marking this historic pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God. And then what we have starting in verse 42 to verse 47 is this summary statement, this brief little video clip of what life looked like in that early church. They were devoted, it says, to you know, the scripture, to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, prayers. It tells us all these things that were characteristic about them as their lifestyle. And what we dare not do is take that little picture of what life was like and sort of cut and paste it and pull it out and separate it from this pouring out of the Spirit that we read before because see the reason these are joined together these individuals personal conversions as peter preaches the gospel to them and then this picture of community life together the reason they come right together is because the point of this passage is to show us that the holy spirit empowers us to live out our new life in his new community the spirit of god empowers us to live out our new life In His new community. You see, the Holy Spirit is not only causing people to be born again, giving people new life in Jesus Christ, He is then placing those individuals in a community of faith, a family, joining them together so that they may live their lives out together in a community. See, the big idea in this passage is that the work of the Spirit not only saves individuals, but He creates communities of individuals that know Jesus Christ. And He sustains them. He matures them. He cultivates their community. He grows them together. And He holds them up as an advertisement of the power of the Gospel to change individuals and build communities of faith wherever the gospel is taught and believed. And the reason we're starting here in this series is because we want to start as a starting place to talk about community, recognizing our desperate need for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We need, if, if, if chapters 1 and 2 of Acts teach us anything, it is that the church needs the power of the Spirit To be the people, the community God has called it to be. Our vision of community should be a vision that is so great, the vision of the Scripture that we just read, a vision that is so great that we cannot accomplish it on our own. That we are desperately in need of God to create something that we can't create with a five-step plan if our vision of church is humanly attainable, if our vision of community is doable with the right strategy, the right philosophy the right plan, then it's not God's plan for community. Because Acts 2 teaches us that God's community is so radically different than anything we could accomplish that the Spirit of God must take dead people and bring them to life in the Gospel and give them a heart both for Him and both for one another so that they devote their lives to His purposes and to one another and to what He is doing by building a people for His glory. And so the theme of this whole series isn't going to be, you can do it. It's not going to be everybody put their hand in the huddle, ready, break. Come on, team, get off the bench and get into the game. I mean, that's, it's not, let's create some more buy-in. Let's create some more ownership in the church. Let's get some more people plugged in and involved and so what do we need to do to sort of make that happen? And here's the blueprint, and here's the strategy. No, it's, it's to start and say, this never happens if God is not at work. It's not us to say, let's build a church community. It's us realizing our need and making ourselves available and open to the God who is building his own church community through the power of the gospel. So we don't start, we, we may share some things that, that feel like plans or steps, I'm not opposed to that, but we just don't start there. We start with the scripture and when we read Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see that it was the pouring out of the Spirit that not only made this possible, but made any of these people even want this. Why did they even want to be together celebrating Jesus? Because the Spirit gave them New life. We want to start with a profound awareness of our need for Him. We want a vision of church life that is so far beyond us that it requires God's Spirit to work. So that anyone who would observe wouldn't say, Man, that's a great strategy. Why don't you guys put on a seminar or write a book or something? That's great. We want people to be exposed to the community that God is building and say, Surely God is in this place. Because that's the only explanation of why that person loves that person. Why that person is doing life together with that person. Why these people are serving them. The only explanation is God. When the Holy Spirit gives birth to a church, look at what he creates. Or gives birth to the first church. Look what he creates. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. When the Holy Spirit births this church, the characteristic description of their participation in the church is they're devoted. They devoted themselves. They are a devoted community. So what we don't see here in Acts 2 is a collection of consumers. A collection of consumers. What was not happening was a few folks who were just popping in and attending, just sort of dropping in and getting an inspiring lesson, being entertained by the band, having a guy tell a moving story and some funny jokes, and just sort of getting some inspiration so that they could go and do their deal with Jesus for the next six days until they showed up the next Sunday to do it all over again and consume the program being offered them. I mean, th- that idea, which is very familiar um, in our culture and with any of us, given our hearts. That's, that's very familiar to us. That is very unfamiliar in the text of Scripture. Now, if you're a guest here, uh, I wasn't just correcting you for popping in here today. We are glad that you were here. You may not even be a follower of Christ. We're especially glad you're here if that's you. Uh, I'm not speaking to folks who are here checking something out or had an invitation. You weren't just criticized. What I'm saying is that for those of us who, who are active Christians in a church here or somewhere else that the picture that God lays forth in his scripture is of people who are devoted to what he is doing, not merely trying to get some pragmatic self-help to foster their individual private spirituality apart from God's people. That's all I was trying to emphasize there. So these people have had their lives reoriented So that when they were described, they weren't described as those who attended, those who consumed, those who checked it out, those who were on the fringe. They were described as those who devoted themselves. Now this word devotion is interesting. First of all, the verb tense of the word devoted indicates that it was a continuing action. So they devoted in an ongoing way. I mean, if you've been around Christianity very long, we all know what it's like to be devoted uh, at the retreat. Or do, anybody can be devoted for two weeks when there's a spiritual high, or devoted on the day of service, or devoted on the short-term trip, or devoted to an event. You know, we we all know what that is. But they were devoted in an ongoing way. And this word devotion means to occupy oneself diligently with something. To occupy oneself diligently. To here's another definition: to pay persistent attention to. To persistently pay attention to, that's to be devoted. To hold fast to something. We we use that word that way. If we said, um, he's devoted to his job, what do we mean? Well, we probably mean that he gets there early, he stays late, he works weekends if they need him, he brings some work home, he's devoted, it it has his attention, sometimes much to his... uh, wife's chagrin it has his attention right so he's he's devoted to his job or what if we said boy she's a devoted mother what does that mean well it means she's really into her kids she's faithful she's taking care of her children if you talk to her so what's going on one of the first things that comes out of her mouth is well little johnny did this or you know whatever it is she's just excited about that she's committed to her kids she makes personal sacrifices stays up late gets up early She's tender, caring. You just—you know what a devoted mother is. Church is filled, this church is filled with devoted mothers. You know what I mean. It's someone who pays constant attention to something. Persistent attention. It's some, someone who occupies themselves diligently, and that's what these folks did. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I remember the first time that I sort of was exposed to a group of people seeking to live out these values that we're reading about right now. Uh, My wife and I were involved in a church, I I think starting in about 1988, um, in Pasadena, California. That's a church that this church obviously came a lot later, but it's kind of a sister church. We're related to that church. But we walked in that church in 1988. And when we did, I I just remember being... uh, taken aback, inspired, gripped by the vision of the people and the way they lived their lives out. Now, I had been a Christian before. I knew godly people. I knew people that loved Jesus. I knew people that read their Bible, told other people about Jesus. I knew people that served in the church. So, like, seeing people involved and serve and love the Lord and have devotions and witness and, you know, it, it wasn't like that was all brand new to me. But what was so, such a stark contrast to what I had experienced in most of my life was that this was a group of people that were committed and devoted to what God was doing in their church. It was a church that is about, probably about the size of our church, and they, they structured their church life around small groups. I mean, they were a big enough church that not everybody could know everybody. We're the same way. And so they structured, to make sure that there was some sense of community, they structured life at some level around their small groups. I just remember people participating in their small groups, and I remember visiting small group and later getting involved in a small group and realizing that when we were in the small group that people were real i mean they weren't just giving the appropriate sunday school answer when the question was asked because we're supposed to just say jesus when they ask a the question because that's the right answer always but they were opening their lives they were opening their marriages and saying things about themselves that were Wow, you're going to say that in public? You know, that, that, because it was all new to me that someone would be real in church. And so (laughs) I never had been. So that was just sort of new that someone would be, not really. I've been around real people before that. But you know what I'm saying? so there was just a community of reality people were parenting in sort of in community such that their lives were open families were together they weren't hiding things they were in one another's houses there was a commitment a real commitment to prayer in the life of the church there was hospitality i remember very early in the church life thinking we've been in more people's homes in, you know, the first few months that were there that maybe we had been in in years in other church situations because because it was a lifestyle. It was a desire. Let's live life in a, in a way that's in community. There was a heart for people that didn't know Christ. And one thing that stood out to me was that there was conversation about Jesus Christ and about people's relationship with Jesus Christ. So it wasn't as if Going to church was sort of the religious thing you do. And then outside of church, you know, all we would ever speak about is the NFL or work or vacation or hobbies or TV or, uh, ach- now that I'm getting older, aches and pains and whatever you're dealing with, you know, that crowd. So it wasn't just that you were doing that. It was that people were talking about what Christ was teaching them, what God was revealing in the Scripture to them, where they were struggling, asking for prayer. So it was like their Christian life was just naturally discussed and lived and talked about. And that was somewhat new to me and somewhat revolutionary, and it changed the course of our lives. We're here with you today with the same vision, desiring the same thing in our lives. Because it just changed me. There was a reality to it. And it was flawed. People sinned. We saw that. The shine wore off. It didn't take real long before we realized, oh yeah, these people are real like us. And there were challenges. So there was a reality to it for sure. But I just remember thinking there was a devotion to the Savior and his word and the things of God that ruined us at some level. And I told you at the beginning that this is a series I need All the things we're talking about here, my wife and I and my family, we do not have these down. I do not excel. I'm not, you know, astounding in all these categories we're talking about. But I want to grow and I see my need. And that's where we are looking at this text. Look at what they devoted themselves to specifically in Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see, this church was a learning community. They were a community. The Holy Spirit had saved them individually and thrust them into community. They were a community that was a learning community. The Holy Spirit created a hunger in them to know God. And how were they going to know God? Through the apostles' teaching. So they were devoted. They were hungry. They were thirsty for the apostles' teaching. Well, how do we get that? Because all the apostles are dead. It is sitting on your lap. This is the apostles' teaching. Not every word they said, but all that we need for life and godliness has been preserved in this spirit-inspired, authoritative, inerrant word of Jesus Christ that we hold in our lap today. The New Testament is the teaching of the apostles that primarily revealed to us the person and work of Jesus Christ what he has done for us, and how we, by his power, are then to live in response to who he is and what he's done. So they were a learning community. They oriented their community life around the Word of God. That's a way we could say it. Scripture was prominent in their community and in their culture and in their life together. Where were they taught the Scripture? Well, we're not told that in this passage, but we have some clues. Look at verse 46 day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with a glad and generous hearts so they met in the temple the apostles may have taught there in some context early on but they the point is they had some type of a public meeting and then they also met in their homes we see in acts 20:20 20, 20, there's a statement that, that of teaching in public context and in house to house as well so they had perhaps some larger and perhaps some smaller environments where there was the word of god being taught to them and they were learning together. I just want to look at the language here. 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. The community was devoted to community learning. Now I am all for private learning. I would highly recommend you as an individual Christian cultivate a personal devotional life. I'm all for that. I think it's I think it's significant to help us know the Lord, live for the Lord, uh, grow in the Lord, to read our Bibles and pray regularly, even daily. I I think that is a, uh, I'm all for that, private Bible study. I'm all for reading books. I read books all the time that help me understand the Bible. So I'm all for personal study. I download sermons. I listen to other preachers and learn uh, all the time. So I am all for any means of helping me understand Jesus Christ, more, and I'm all for you doing that as well. But having said that, I want to emphasize for these folks, and I believe for us, there is to be a significant dimension of our lives that is we are a learning community that we are seeking to learn together. See what's happening here in the Book of Acts is they are learning and then applying and walking out their lives together. What is not going on is that they're having some kind of Sunday morning service that is there's like a learning center. They're attending a learning center where they sort of receive some, some information that they can go merely apply privately, disconnected from the folks that are around them. That's not what's happening. They are connected to the folks that are Around them. And so we want to be those who are learning together. And applying together. In community. You are a very. Very encouraging church. To the pastors. To us personally. You encourage us tremendously. Regularly. People bring me. um, Personal words that are meaningful. You know. Thank you for teaching the Bible. Thank you for that sermon. Um, So thank you. For thanking us okay you're very very grateful and that is very meaningful I don't want to minimize that I'll have a receiving line here at the end you can tell me what you thought about this morning but I don't want to minimize that but let me tell you what really is encouraging to, to, to us is when someone says this to me we were in our small group on Wednesday night talking about the message and looking at the scripture that was taught Sunday morning And I realized, you know, a sin in my life regarding to that. And I confessed that. I shared that. And then someone in the group prayed for me and encouraged me. And then this week later called and checked on me to see how I was doing. When we hear that kind of thing, that's learning and applying in community together. That way the teaching has a shelf life. It's being lived. There's feet being put on the Word of God that we're learning, and we're walking it out, and we're not only walking it out, we're walking it out together, helping one another, so that you're and we can't be connected, each of us, to everyone in the church, I understand, so maybe our small group, our family, a few of our friends, that we're, whoever you can be connected with, and in particular, in your small group, in that group, at least I can seek to know how are other people doing how is God meeting them what is God teaching them what can I learn from them what can I share with them and we're in a learning community together that's the goal for all of us without minimizing all the other teaching private learning that I mentioned actually you can bring that into your group and share as well but this learning community That's the first thing. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They are, secondly, a sharing community, a learning community, a sharing community. They are devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, it says. Now, the word fellowship means to share with someone in something. Fellowship means that two people, a group of people, share together in something or someone that's beyond them. Let, let me give you an example of how this could be used in a non religious sense. W- what if you had a fellowship of engineers? That'd be boring. But, okay, just kidding. Just kidding. Actually, I said that same thing off the top of my head in the first service, and an engineer addressed me after the service. But he agreed with what I just said. So that. <laughs> And this was not a boring guy that told me this, but no. Okay, so let's say you had a fellowship of engineers. I mean, people gathered around math and science. I mean, it's unthinkable, but let's say that happened. People who love math hanging out together. <laughs> Whew. So there's those people. I love engineers. So uh, engineers. Uh, wha- what is a fellowship of engineers? It is a group of people that share in common a, a common vocation. They they uh, design, they build, whatever they do together. Um, that's what joins them together, and we are thankful for them. Um, but they, that's what draws them together. We're connected because we both have the same vocation and work together. Well, what is the fellowship of the church? It's not the fellowship of the engineers. It's not the fellowship of the people that like the same music, dress the same, like the same sports team, or the same race, or the same socioeconomic background, have the same hobbies. The church is the fellowship of people connected to Jesus Christ. What we hold in common is that we have met the Savior, that He has forgiven our sins, that we believe in the crucified and risen One, Jesus Christ, and that we have new life. And now we've been thrust into a church together, a community together, and we're called to walk out our Christian faith as a family, joined together, and we have Him in common. So we come together because we share in Jesus Christ together it is a fellowship of Christ a fellowship of the spirit Jesus is our common denominator and that's why they are dev- devoted to the fellowship they're devoted to the relationship they share together with Jesus Christ and so when the church comes together we have a lot of differences But those differences are to be muted. Those differences are to be placed in the background so that in the foreground is Jesus Christ who we are gathering around in worship and love and sacrifice and devotion. And so we are devoted together to one another because we are co-devotees to Jesus Christ in a family. So there are all kinds of differences. We have different backgrounds. We have different preferences. We have different styles. We have different races. We have different ages. We're different genders. One of two genders. But we are building our lives together in what we have in whom we are, share a common life. Jesus Christ. And we're doing that to please Him. To build one another up. And to reach those who don't know Jesus Christ. So in the Spirit Builds a community, he will build a people that share their lives together in Jesus Christ. And that can sound a little theoretical, that can sound a little ethereal. So lest lest we just sort of have a vague understanding of, yeah, we're the fellowship of Christ. See you next Sunday. Lest we think it's merely sort of a concept or a vague notion. This passage gives us some very specific ways that was experienced. You know, one is they shared meals together. So they were together. They may have been different. They may have not all been naturally best friends, but they still extended hospitality and were together. They were devoted, look at verse 42, 42, the teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, that could refer to communion, but I think it more broadly probably refers to meals together. And actually, even communion may have been taken around a meal in the early church. It appears that way in 1 Corinthians, that even communion was part of a broader meal. But if you look down at verse 46... He says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So the breaking of bread here is the receiving of fruit, food, probably more than just receiving the, the elements of communion. They were probably meals, full meals. And so they were together. Sharing in Christ meant sharing table fellowship. It meant sharing a meal, it meant sharing, they're taking it with glad and generous hearts. They're talking about their lives, they're taking an interest in one another, they're laughing together. They're getting to know one another. They're opening their homes, they're they're opening themselves. They're opening their possessions. I mean, minimally, they're buying some food and preparing it and... um, giving it to someone else, but they're doing way more than that. Look what the passage says. It says in verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So based on what someone's need was, they were meeting one another's needs. Does it mean that nobody owned anything and they lived totally by a common person? I don't think so, because it says they met in their homes. Somebody owned a home. So not everybody sold all their possessions. I think more what's being talked about is sort of an approach that met needs. So if someone had a need and someone couldn't meet that need but had a possession, they might sell their possession, get rid of their possession so they would have a resource to meet that need. They were meeting one another's needs. They were together. They had life in common. They had Jesus Christ in common and that wasn't just theoretical. That played itself out in personal sacrifice, personal inconvenience, Personal, having folks over. And that's, that's uh, joyful and generous and glad, like they say here. But there's also problems associated with that. Someone had to clean up. Someone had to cook. Someone had to face the various scenarios that happen when you sort of open your life up like that. So things happen. But they were doing that because they were together. They were joined in Jesus Christ. What I don't think was happening here was that they were some type of a consumer-driven church. They were devoted to life together because the Holy Spirit had changed them and joined them. What it doesn't appear like is that they were just on the take. I just want to kind of show up and what's in it for me. I want to make a confession this morning. And if you're part of the church and part of a small group, you may be able to identify with this. I love the people in my small group, in my care group, um, but there's times I don't want to go. You ever had that experience? I mean, it's Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whatever night you meet on, and it's a long day at work. And you get home, and you are tired. Maybe you've been out several nights in a row. Maybe you're just wasted. And you think, but, like, the last thing I want to do is drive over to small group. Maybe you had an argument. Your spouse right at the time, oh, man, I don't even, that's when you both most need to not go, by the way. But I didn't even want to go. I just want to avoid. I just don't want to be there. I didn't read my assignment. Uh, the last two meetings were kind of dull anyway. I, I think it would, I'm not talking about the people in my group, but maybe your group. And <laughs> <laughs> the people are dull in my group, whatever. And there's like, you know, what I think would be really great would be to sit on the sofa and just watch TV. And, and that's just what I want to do. I just want to unplug. I just don't want to identify with my group. What's normally in my mind when that's going on is I'm thinking about me. I'm not thinking about the needs of those who are going to be in the group that night. I'm thinking about what I perceive to be convenient and easy and best for me, by the way. And and what's not in that line of thinking is I wonder what needs will be there tonight that I could pray for. I wonder who's going to show up tonight with a burden that I could help shoulder and bear. I wonder what's going on in someone's life that God wants me to know about and God wants me to interact with. I wonder what I might have to share with them. I wonder what spiritual gift God might give me to bless the group or edify the group tonight. I wonder how I could make a contribution to the lives of others. And and the reality is that I really do need that fellowship. I'm created for that fellowship. Sometimes the thought can be, well, you know, I don't really get that much out of it. Well, the first question to ask is, who can I contribute to? That's the the sense here of community. Community is not what I'm getting out of it. Community is, God, how do you want to use me to contribute to others? And secondly, I really do need it. I'm not an independent person that everybody in the New Testament is supposed to know Jesus Christ and relate to him in a community that the Holy Spirit's to empower them to live their new life within a community but me. I'm the exception because those people are fill in the blank. So oftentimes, here's what happens with me, is, and and there's a time to miss your group. I mean, if you come home, you're really sick. Please don't come and, you know, cough and sneeze on everybody and get everybody else sick. Stay home and email in a prayer request. They'll pray for you, whatever. But if you're contagious, there's a time. Obviously, you're on vacation. You know, it's an unusual circumstance. You had to work late. Of course, of course, of course. What I'm talking about here is the Holy Spirit wants to reorient our lives so that we're devoted to his word. We're devoted to the interaction of fellowship together. And he wants to use us to live life with others. Not only were they a sharing community, sharing their lives, their possessions, everything else. They were a worshiping community. And by this, I'm referring to the points in the passage where it says um, they were devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayers. They were devoted as a people. They devoted themselves. They were devoted corporately. They were devoted as a group. They were devoted as a community to prayer. And without getting overly complex about what that means, prayer is simply this. Prayer is simply acknowledging our need for God and communicating to God about that. That's really what prayer is. It's just saying, you are God and I am not. Or in a community prayer or a prayer for a friend or a small group prayer, we're in essence saying, you are God and we are not. So would you meet my friend? Would you meet this other person? Would you help them? So you're crying out for the needs of others. Listen, I don't know the needs of others if I'm not interacting with others. I do not know them. If I'm not interacting with anybody, I don't know how I can be devoted to prayer for them, with them. So they together were devoted to prayer. Prayer is just humbling ourselves and recognizing our need. And then watching him answer answer prayers in the life of the community. It's one of the most exciting parts about being a part of a community. Is that you are spurred on as you see God work in the lives of others. So we pray We see God answer and then we rejoice with those who rejoice because their joy is our joy. We're in this together. It's not just about me. It's about us. It's about together. It's about the Holy Spirit doing something so I can really take joy and really experience the favor of God. The joy of God is I'm with you and he's answering our prayers for you. Or I can weep with those who weep as well. And I can cry out and I can pray a psalm of lament. And cry with you as you grieve a loss. So that you don't go through that loss together. We go through that loss. I'm sorry, you don't go through that loss alone. We go through that loss together. So they were devoted to prayer. Prayers of joy. Prayers of grief. Prayers of intercession. Prayers of crying out. Prayers of desperation. In Acts 4, when persecution comes, it's not one guy getting picked off. It's the family crying out to God. Oh God, help us in this time of persecution. Grant us boldness. They're in this deal together as a family. And God's answering their prayers. And not only that, it's, there's not only prayer, but there's praise. I love this phrase. Where down in verse 46, he says, They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God. They are praising God and having favor with all the people. So they are, they're speaking praise. I assume they're singing praise together. They're singing, they're speaking, they're testifying. They're saying, guess what God did? Guess how great God is? Let me tell you about my experience. Let's fellowship by me telling you about who God is and what he's done for me. I praise God. They're doing that publicly. And as someone else is giving praise to God, I'm spurred on. Yes, God is faithful. I see it in your life. I hear you testify. Let's praise Him together. So they are a worshiping community. That is, their vertical relationship, I mean, a fellowship is largely horizontal, their vertical relationship is communal in nature. They pray together. They praise together. I love that. I want to be a part of that. I want to grow in that. I don't want to settle for what I'm currently experiencing in that area of my life. I believe there's more for me. I believe there's more for you. I believe there's more for us. And it is the Holy Spirit that does this, that He changes our hearts so that we together are drawn in praise and prayer. This community is saturated with an awareness of God as a lifestyle. Lastly, They're not only a worshiping community, lastly, they're a growing community. There's gospel expansion. Look at verse 47. Having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This community is alive, and it is growing. It's multiplying. There's momentum here because the Holy Spirit is doing something in them, and he's adding to it. God is saving people. God is adding people. Now, if we go on and read the book of Acts, we'll see there's a number of reasons. Some people were preaching the gospel and people were hearing it. Some people were personally uh, sort of doing, I mean, we see about like um, in chapter 8, I think it is Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. That's almost like one-on-one evangelism. So there's some one-on-one things going, testifying, evangelizing. There's preaching. All those kinds of things are happening. But because this statement day by day, God was adding those who were being saved because this is tied to everything we just read about community, devoted to teaching, devoted to fellowship, sharing their life, sharing their possessions, praising God together, eating in one another's homes, laughing, generous, glad, and generous hearts together. They're selling their possessions, they're in awe, all, all this together stuff, and then and God's adding to them. I, I, I don't think it takes tremendous discernment to see, likely in many cases people were being added as they were exposed to what God was doing in the community. Personal evangelism, yes. Personal uh, preaching, yes. Tracks, yes. Whatever to get the word of God to people, yes, yes, and yes. But there is something that is communicated about the truth of the gospel in community that isn't seen in just individual testimony, now, I can say, we see this in the Bible, I was blind, but now I see and testify to Jesus Christ. I was this, and now I'm that. He's done that, and here's who he is, and here's how he does it. We can give personal testimony, and we should give personal testimony. But there's things that I can't communicate in my personal testimony that are seen in a community. People who would naturally be opposed to one another or enemies joined together. In the New Testament, it was Jew and Gentile together. So, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, people unified together around Jesus Christ. I can't show you that if it's just me here. I can tell you about it, but I can't show you. Reconciled people together, together saying, We were apart, now we're together. A marriage restored, a broken relationship restored, people walking through a difficulty restored. Someone testifying about the faithfulness of God as other people cared for them and served them and helped them in their time of need. That communicates the love of Jesus Christ. See, I can say to a lost person, I love you, I love others, Christ has changed my heart. But he comes in or she comes in and observes the church and you see people loving one another. You see people devoted to Scripture. You see people whose lives are turned upside down, living open lives in a culture where people live closed, private, sheltered, individualistic lives. You see people who are in it for God and others instead of themselves. And that's a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. I've been thinking a lot about this. I'm going to talk some more about this. And I really... We, I mean, I haven't talked that much. I've been thinking about it on my break a lot, so I haven't even talked that much with the pastors about this. But I, I, I don't really have a strategy for how that looks. I pray the Lord will give us some ways to know how that looks more and more. But I think that's a value in the Scripture and a work of the Spirit that our life together can be on display as the sweetness of the gospel can be revealed to others. So let's pray and dream and think about how that might happen in our midst as well. The message of the gospel, see, Jesus dies and gives his life to reconcile us to the Father and to reconcile us to one another. And it's through community that that second part, that horizontal part, is on display. That broken bread that we receive at communion is a vivid living reminder that Jesus Christ's body was broken, that we may be one. And our lives shared together are the visible demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit making real what's symbolized by that broken bread. This is something much bigger than us. I mean, this passage of Scripture, this is just way beyond us. It is way, way beyond us. And to step into it, let's be frank, is risky. It's far more risky not to step into it, but it is risky. It is messy. It is inconvenient it is challenging, and it is the work of God. See, I love a vision for the church where we just look at it together like this and we say, ah, we can't do that. Because that's when we start to see our need for God and our need for the Holy Spirit to change us and to do something beyond us so that when people encounter the church, they don't say, good plan. What book did you find that in? Where's the seminar where we can do that? What's your vision statement? What's your action plan? How did you guys work that out? Because we want to do the exact same thing. We want people to encounter the church and say, surely God is in this place. There is no rational explanation. God has changed your life and brought you gladness and generosity and community and inclusion. And the weak are received and honored, not cast out. Where does that happen but the church? Those with means are humbling themselves and serving those without means. The brilliant are in the same place with us, the dull. Together, loving one another. Where does that? At different races, together. People that would never be friends normally are doing life together and friends in the same small group. That takes the Holy Spirit. I can't give a pep talk. I can't get the pom-poms out and get everybody riled up and pumped for community. It just is the Holy Spirit that has to do that. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our new life in His new community. Do not forget the context. The church starts with the Spirit. The Spirit of God is poured out. Acts 2, the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel is, com- is proclaimed. The hearers are convicted and cut to the heart and say, what must we do? They're told to turn to Jesus Christ, repent, receive forgiveness. They're baptized. They're converted. They become Christians. It's all because the Spirit was poured out. And then they're put together and they're a community of faith. The Spirit doesn't leave at that point. All of that devotion, all of that life together, all of that learning, all of that sharing, all of that loving, all of that praising and praying and serving, that's all the work of the Spirit in their midst. The Spirit of God. My prayer is in the coming weeks that the Holy Spirit will give us a bigger vision from his scripture, that the Holy Spirit will change our desires continue to change our desires because there's tremendous community already happening in our church. It's wonderful. We could just parade up here stories of what's gone on, but I think God has more for us. God wants to cultivate a gratitude for one another. God wants us to fill us with an awe of what he's doing. God wants to redeem people that are far from him, that are dead in sin, somewhere else today. He wants to enfold them into this life of community. And he doesn't want us to cherish and, uh, you know, cloister what we're experiencing. He wants it to overflow. That's what I love about the evangelism in this passage, is it seems like there's a vibrant community that's overflowing to those that don't know Jesus Christ. And that's our desire, full of the Spirit, loving one another, and loving those who don't know Jesus Christ. There's only one way that'll happen as we study God's Word, as the Spirit opens our eyes and changes our hearts, and as we take steps of faith, partnering with Him, working as He works within us to invest our lives in the most important thing in the universe, which is glorifying the Savior by following Him together in the community that He's called us to and taking that message to those who don't know him all around us and all around the world. May it be by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we love this passage. We love all the Scripture because it's your voice to us. But we love these passages where we look at them and it's a stretch where we look at them and we're tempted to take the edge off and make excuses and say that was then, this is now. We love these passages because they cause us to come to our knees and say we can't, but you can. And we want to posture ourselves as a church in this fashion, that the ideals that we see in the book of Acts, that the work of the Spirit we, say, we see in the book of Acts, we say come Spirit of God and work in us in the same way. Mature us, grow us, change us, God. We don't want to waste our lives. We want to invest our lives in what you are doing. And we believe what we read this morning is what you are doing. And we want to see that expand so that others are being added to the church daily. This church, other churches, that that, that you are adding people into your family. We want to celebrate that and see that. We want to see that here. God, I pray for anyone in this room that does not know you this morning, would you grant them new life? God, I pray they would turn from their sin and turn to you. That they would meet you and that you would thrust them into this community just as we read. And that we, we would be stirred by their new faith. God, we just pray that. So do that in the room right now. And I pray for those of us who do know you, that you would stir us, that you would do a big work in our lives. Some of us in the room have tasted this kind of thing in earlier days or when we were younger, and we pray that you would restore what we've experienced and that you would make it even greater in these days. Some of us in the room have never tasted what we just read of, and it, it makes them nervous, God, fearful even. I pray that the that your peace would guard their heart and mind, and that you would open their eyes with faith to you and your purposes. And they would take huge steps of faith to open their life, open their home, open their heart, open their relationships, and include others. God, we just ask that you would do something so far beyond us that we'd look back this week and in future weeks and we'd just say, there's one explanation. God poured out the Spirit by the power of his gospel to the glorious work. May it be, Lord. We thank you for all that you have done. We pray that you would do more. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.